Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond, and I will be your host for this evening. It is June the 5th, 2014. And as we speak, the China Open is underway. We want to make sure we wish our uh, American friends the best of roles while they're over there. Bring home the cash, represent us well, and get some good Moscone Cup training, as the case may be. We've got another great show for you. Tonight we're going to hear from uh, Moscone Cup candidate Mr. Justin Bergman and get his thoughts about uh, what it might take to be a final member of the team. We're going to get to hear from uh, the promoter, Mr. Mike Zuglin. Also going to hear from USBA Board of Directors uh, member, Mr. Steve Anderson. And we will also get to hear uh, from Allison Fisher and Mr. Jerry T. So stick around for all that. And while we're at it, how's the weather going for you there in Michigan, Mr. Anderson? Well, um, after the harsh winter we had, uh, anything is absolutely perfect. Uh, Right now it's overcast and uh, raining intermittently, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but we've had a lot of sunshine and in the 80s, so it's absolutely wonderful. Awesome. Yeah, it's finally warming up here, so... uh... You know, it, it we all have all come out of our shell, so to speak, and uh, are yeah. out and about. It's it's nice. It's very nice. So, um, tell us a little bit more for those that don't keep up with all the particulars. Um, a little bit more about the USBA and uh, what your role for them is. Yes. Well, there's a lot of information. Um, uh, there's been basically some uh, different organizations that morphed into other organizations, but the United States Billiard Association, as we know today, uh, started uh, in 1988, mm-hmm. and before that, uh, it was the International Billiard Federation and also the American Billiard Association. So those kind of all morphed into our present-day USBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, we have a present a president, excuse me, a secretary, treasurer. Our president is Jim Shovak from New York. Secretary Tom Paley from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Our treasurer is Merrill from New York City, and then we have uh, the main directors, which cover most of the United States. We got Mason Shuni in New Hampshire, Jim Watson in New York City, Pedro Pedro Buena from San Diego, Ricardo Caranco from Los Angeles, and Victor Cousy from Miami. So we got a nice group, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone is working hard at trying to promote the beautiful sport of carom billiards. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Now, do you guys have... Um, I've read the the at least posted calendars of different events throughout the year. How many um, organized, well, sanctioned events do you think that you have total for a year? 
Yes, of course that'll vary, but, um, you know, you're averaging one to two a month, and okay. so, um, and then they're, they're usually throughout the United States. So. Now, there's smaller events, and some of those are not sanctioned events sure, sure. or open events, but to answer your question, you're looking between one or two per month. So uh, let's say 20 for the sake of conversation. Okay, there you go. Good. Well, how do you think that's, – that's a decent number. So how do you think um, the same – well, let me re-ask re the question. The lull that uh, popular billiards has gone through uh, over the last, you know, what is it, maybe a decade or so, uh, has that affected carom sports the same way, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, any or most sports uh, are not immune to a downturn in the economy. Sure. And when people don't have, um, you know, money to, to spend on a hobby, um, then, you know, that, that is going to have an effect. Right, right, right. And, and so uh, there's no question that um, I, I think, it, you know, it hasn't been devastating. But as you know, uh, David, so many rooms have closed mm -hmm. around the country. Right. And since Karen Billiards is a subset of pool billiards or pocket billiards, um, one of the tables that a room owner might get rid of first might be the carom table right. in lieu of some of the pocket tables. So, so yeah. you know, it, 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 can be, uh, it can be tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's ironic, too, because it, it was not always that way. Uh, obviously, back in history, um, the carom sports were the dominant organized sports out there. And pocket billiards was kind of an afterthought, but uh, so it's uh, it's a funny juxtaposition, you know, uh, how that's all turned about. Do you think that uh, uh, your um, patronage is increasing, decreasing, staying the same? Well, uh, from our organization standpoint, yeah. as far as our members, they've pretty much held about the same. So, you know, like any organization, you're going to have some fluctuation. But in general, uh, our, our membership is somewhere, uh, give or take, in the three to 400 members uh, that are current. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's, there's some laps uh, in some of the membership, and so that fluctuates. But sure. it's been pretty constant through the years. Okay, good. Well, look good. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. A good, healthy population. Absolutely, yes. Now, do you have, um, what is your um, Super Bowl or a World Series of, <laughs> you know, what's the, yeah. what's the big championship now? Is that Does that have a name? Yes. It's called the USBA Nationals. Okay, okay. And so 
uh, each year it it uh, is held in a different location. Uh, for example, our USBA Nationals was in Houston uh, just in April of this year. And the year before, uh, it was uh, in uh, Edison, New Jersey during the... Um, the uh, Super Billiard Expo. Mm, okay. uh, so, um, yeah. So, so that's our biggie. That's the that's the one that uh, everyone vies for. There, we we have uh, a qualifying tournament throughout the country, and you know, first, second, or third, depending on how many entries there are, uh, get. Uh, entrance into the nationals so mm, so that's okay. our biggie okay okay and then our second biggie is a more international event and that's held in new york city uh a few years ago the 14.1 championship was held at the carom cafe in new york city alongside uh, the uh, the tournament, uh, the Verhoeven Open. So uh, many of the pool players are familiar with that room. Uh, but that is a, a, a huge international tournament. Uh, we get people from all over the world, and uh, it is streamed by uh, Kazoom, which is the largest streamer, uh, of uh, Karen Billiards in the world. Right, right, right. Excellent, excellent. Do you think? Um, do you think that? Uh, well, let me ask it a different way. Uh, do you consider it to be a successful organization, um, or do you think that it's tougher or easier than uh, dealing with pool? think so I mean there's there's always um, going to be some some differences uh, but I think the pool player and the carom player are both wonderful people that love their sport and um, they want to be affiliated with some organization uh, I don't have to tell you about the popularity of the different uh, leagues uh, around the country and the fact that pool players are part of a team that's part of a uh, you know a a format like the BCA or whatever, right. and they have their huge tournaments out in Vegas and, and different spots. So. Right. Um, it, there's not really much difference there other than um, there aren't enough billiard tables to really have leagues in most most rooms. Sure, sure. Um, so that's difficult. But as far as the actual players themselves, uh, not much different. Yeah. Hmm. Well, speaking of the players, um, at, it has come to my attention now I, I have to confess I didn't know that you had done so many of these wonderful interviews that you do with the uh, various players from around the world how long have you been doing that and uh, what got you started on that 
Well, I, I started in uh, 2013, uh, and it was kind of, it was a precursor to the Verhoeven Open in New York City, and many of the players from Europe were coming over. And what I wanted to do is interview some of those players that were coming over and kind of get their sense of, of uh, you know, coming to the United States and, and playing, in, uh, playing in a tournament. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And, of course, after the Verhoeven Open, uh, no sense stopping the interviews, so I just continued. Sure. So I'm on a schedule that each month, uh, I interview a player or someone um, very known in the billiard industry, and uh, and have an interview with them. So it's been a it's been a blast. What's your favorite part? <laughs> well, I actually like to learn. Um, little tidbits of information that you get. One of the things I do during my interviews is I actually send them a shot selection, and um, they have to find a solution. What is the best way to shoot that shot uh, to make a point? And um, that's always fun because... Um, uh, billiards is very inventive as far as shot making, and it's amazing some of the shots that I would think one would play because it's a high percentage shot, and they may think just the opposite, and they would play something completely different. Right. Exactly. So the shot selection and their solution to that shot selection is always a, a, a fun thing. And then, of course, the stories that either uh, things that happened in a tournament or high runs that someone had or just some of the experiences they've had through the years in, uh, in playing uh, professional billiards. It's always <laughs> fun to hear that. Yes, it is. It is. I think it's a, uh, it's a great opportunity to uh, not only to get to know the players specifically, but for uh, to give everybody else a chance to get to know the players as well. You know, it's exactly. uh, most certainly beneficial to everybody involved uh, for us to do that, for to share that information, and uh, you know, for the fans to be able to get behind somebody because they know more about them. You know, it's uh, engaging. Indeed. You know. Anyway, uh, I thank you for your time, Steve, and uh, I, I wish you the best of luck with your interviews. I, uh, like I said, I enjoy it myself a lot, and uh, the world can uh, certainly use more stuff like that. So, good luck uh, for the remainder of 2014. Well, thank you so much, and I appreciate you taking the time and uh, uh, us talking with each other, and... Um have a wonderful rest of your day. Absolutely. And just to let you guys know, um, when uh, Steve produces these interviews, we'll be posting them up uh, on American Billiard Radio as well, just to give you another place to be able to conveniently pick them up. So stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week.
Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I'm your host, Allison Fisher of NYCGrind.com, and I'm very pleased to have with me uh, the one and only Jerry T., NYC Grind founder and creative director. How are you doing, JT? Doing great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this episode. Awesome. Well, I know that you've got a lot of stuff on your plate that you've been working on, and I'd love to hear about what what kind of projects you have going on? Well, yeah, awesome. Uh, you're absolutely right. I have a lot on my plate right now. Um, the New York City pool scene has really been buzzing across the board. So um, I've been busy really going to a lot of events, you know, speaking to a lot of people, traveling to a lot of different places. And there's a lot of really exciting things and, and events happening. Um, you know, for those of you who haven't had a chance to check out nycgrind.com, feel free to check it out or on your schedule. And You'll get an opportunity to learn a little bit more about what's been going on uh, in the New York City area, as well as, um, you know, basically what's going on in the nation and the world from a New York perspective, from a you know unique perspective. And we've been attaching more and more contributors across the nation who've been helping us uh, with their unique perspective, showcasing and highlighting talent that is, uh, you know, newsworthy. Basically, what New York City is all about, New York City Grind is all about, is similar to what Frank Sinatra talked about when he would say, uh, if you could make it here, you could make it anywhere. And basically, he really talked about a mindset, if you could stand out in the sea of sharks, so to speak. And I've been excited, um, uh, I am excited working on a few really cool projects. And one of them is um, a continuation of uh, videos where we're covering different pool events and we're calling it Super News Spotlights. So I'm working on a Super News Spotlight video from an event that Tony Robles had for the, uh, the Predator Pro-Am tour that he runs uh, along with Finnegan and, and his wife Gail. And um, it was really a great venue at Q Bar Billiards in Bayside, New York from Bayside, Queens. And uh, Annie played great to to win the tournament on on the the amateur side and uh i believe mike deshane um no brandon shuff excuse me brandon shuff won it on the pro side so we put together a day one video that captured um a lot of the different players that participated um and we captured you know uniquely our journey basically me and a few of my friends allison and a few people that went to that event and we shared our experience through this video in a very unique way. So I'm excited to work on the second one, which would capture um, Annie as well as Brandon winning their events. And I'm really excited to follow up that video with a Ginky, uh, a Super New Spotlight video on the Ginky Memorial Tournament, which happened last weekend. Actually, two week, two weekends ago. Last weekend, there was a great event uh, at Gotham Billiards that the Tri-State Tour ran, it was 3,000 added, it was a full field, great event. But two weeks ago, the Ginky Memorial really made some waves since it, uh, since it was the Ginky Memorial Tournament where the Tri-State Tour, the Predator Tour, and the Mez Tour all joined fo forces. Three of the top tours in the Tri-State area, really in the Northeast, got together for the betterment of the game as well as to memorialize Ginky, who really was a legend in New York. And... Um, we captured NYC Grind's team captured some really great content throughout that experience. Captured that experience, read a lot of emotions and stories throughout that event. And while Allison 
and a few of our contributors did a great job with written coverage and photography. I personally shot a lot of really great video from that event that I'm, you know, and I'm working on one of these spotlight videos. So I'm really excited about the super new spotlight video, um, you know, ongoing series that I keep dropping out, which is spotlighting pool in a new way. Kind of like how ESPN would have their sports highlights. Um, but we're just taking a little bit of a longer approach. You know, our videos are normally like six minutes to, to, to 15 minutes, depending on how long I feel it takes in order to capture one of those videos. So that's pretty much it. I have a lot on my plate, um, but I'm in a real creative mode right now. Yeah, and we did do a collaboration with AZBTV for both the Tri-State Tour event and the Genki Memorial event, which we did the live streaming all, all weekend for free on the AZBTV Ustream channel. And that's been a lot of fun. Upstate Al and Al Sun, and then we've got a number of different people that come on to do the commentating. And we'll also be doing the live streaming actually this weekend from the NYC 8-Ball Championships, which is going to be a BCAPL-sanctioned event. It's the first of its kind in the New York region. And it's also produced by Tony and Gail Robles under their new production company, Silent, uh, Silent Assassin Productions. So that's going to be kicking off on Friday evening. And really excited about that. I'll be competing in that tournament. And then we'll also be doing you know coverage and doing the live streaming. It's taking place at Steinway, um, as the Ginky Memorial also did. And they're using the same format, like a similar format, to how they would run the BCAPL National Championships, which is happening in, in Vegas next month. So they have a leisure division for some of the lesser experienced players, an open division, an advanced division, and then a masters and grandmasters. Yeah. So they've got, they're actually doing uh, mixed divisions for the open and the advanced, and then the women's uh, women's leisure is actually sold out with a full field of 16 players, and the entire event has $2,000 added. So that should be really exciting to see what kind of turnout we've got, and there'll be a lot of players. It's only for uh, New York City area players who play in the New York City leagues. So that should be uh, that should be a lot of fun. Definitely. I mean, there's really a lot going on in the New York City area, and there's just no question that each year, every pool player who participates in a league really strives to and looks forward to the ability and the opportunity to go to Las Vegas and go with their friends and really take in a great overall you know, experience and go on this adventure, and it's awesome. I've been to Vegas many times myself. And I have a great time. And the BCAPL, really, which which stands for the BCA Pool League, not to be confused with the BCA Billiards Congress of America, the BCA Pool League, run by CSI, really does a great job across the board. They um, have amazing tools that helps pool players know where they, when they're going to be playing, when they're going to be playing, and and there's like an interactive approach where if a pool player wants to be texted when their match is coming. They have the ability to do that, and I'm a big fan of that. You know, one of the things that is unique about our position in the pool world and, and, and you know, the historic kind of timeline is we have the ability to leverage technology, leverage the internet, leverage some of these 
really great, amazing new technologies to help further the sport. So I'm excited about it. And New York City now has, for the first time, their own kind of mini Vegas. Because everyone that I know here in the New York City area that participates in leagues wants to have some like warm-ups or like they want to have a reason to talk about Vegas and personally I think that the NYC championships is that perfect warm-up for Vegas well and you know what I think makes it even better is that Steinway is kind of like the Vegas of pool in New York in my opinion it's like it's the sort of the happening place to be where everybody everybody brings their friends out for the tournaments or the leagues or to uh, just find people to match up with, of course. So I think it's the it's the ideal location, and uh, there's there's all sorts of stuff happening there. They've got the NAPL leagues that also take place at Steinway Billiards, which are run by Tony and Gail as well. And NAPL stands for the National Amateur Pool League, and they've they've kind of come up with their own format where the the uh, rules are very similar to the BCA uh, BCA rules in terms of how the eight ball game is played. There are only a couple minor um, minor changes to the league. So they recently had their finals in Brooklyn and Manhattan and then the NAPL finals are happening in Queens next week on June 13th. And another cool thing that the NAPL does is that they've actually got a world tournament of 14.1 qualifier. They're the only league to exclusively have a qualifier just for their straight pool league participants. So that is taking place. I think you have the date there for I'm excited about that. That's pretty cool. That's happening on June 14th for NAPL league members only, as you mentioned, Allison. At Amsterdam Billiards and Amsterdam Billiards Club, which um, most people would say that Amsterdam Billiards has like the name as the premier pool room in the nation, doesn't have the size and some of the events uh, that that Steinway has on an ongoing basis. One of the main reasons because of like the size. It's in Manhattan in the Union Square area, and it's really a great location. And it really has been the hub, and it continues to be the hub for straight pool in the nation in my opinion definitely in new york city um so i'm excited that straight pools is still bubbling and happening in new york city i'm excited that the qualifier is going to be at amsterdam and i love the pool room um uh and amsterdam actually has a follow-up event there i believe for the second qualifier for the world tournament which is going to be on july 19th and that's going to be open to any player that wants to participate you don't have to just be a member of the nepl you could be you could be at any skill level to participate. And the first two players would make it uh, and have a spot in the World Tournament. The third location is going to be at Sandcastle Billiards, which is another really great room in New Jersey, Edison, New Jersey. And that's going to be on July 12th. And in Chicago, in Red Shoe Billiards, um, I'm actually not sure on the date of that, but I know in the, in the future... Let me see if we could check on that right now. Excuse me, I'm a little uh, distracted. But um, 
There's going to be an event, Red Shoe Billiards in Chicago. And do, do you have that, that date in front Yeah, of you? the date is going to be June 21st at Red Shoe Billiards. Uh, so that will be the third qualifier to take place. Well, actually, on the same weekend, they're hosting the first ever world tournament qualifier to take place in Europe in Berlin, Germany. Wow. Yeah, so that's very exciting. It's going to be at the brand new high-end pool room Bada Bar and Billiards, named after, of course, Efren Bada Reyes. And I had the chance to meet the, the owner of this pool room, Patrick Bauman, there at, uh, at Amsterdam when he was visiting over the course of the Super Billiards Expo. Tell me about him and uh, a little bit about the pool room, like his passion about it. Yeah, he came to New York to get the experience of the expo and kind of check out the different different pool rooms around the area and take in that experience and see see what uh, you know compare notes about what what he wants to do with his own place and it looks like an amazing room. It's upscale place, very modern with a unique open layout and uh, Brunswick tables from from the look of it. So it's. It's uh, really beautiful, and it's nice to see that he's he's making a push to bring more uh, bring more offerings to that area. And I know straight pool is huge in Germany and in Europe in general. Yeah. So that'll be great to see who will who will come out of that. And I think they're also offering um, 800 euros in travel expenses to the to the winner for the event too. Awesome. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are interested in learning a little bit more about the pool room, you can check out badabar.com and uh, you can learn a little bit more and, and support international pool. And I'm excited about some of the, the growth internationally and some of the collaborations. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, right now, the big buzz in pool is uh, the China Open, where we've got players from around the world. Just, it's, yeah. it's really. China by far it's just above and beyond they've got huge fans they do a big press conference with all the players and make it a real uh, high-end high-end event so I'm really excited that players like Jennifer Breda and Emily Duddy from New York are there representing and taking a shot there yeah because it's that's the way it's the way of the future I think for pool to bring in uh, bring in the big, bring in the big press and do what do an exciting thing for the players. So I'm really excited for yeah. for all of them. Yeah, awesome. I am too. And Emily and Jennifer are um, both players who consistently and continually get better. Like every time I watch both of them play, they're getting better. And Jennifer is um, she has one of the most, I guess, dedicated. And consistent work workout regimens that I know across the I mean pool forget about woman or man uh, that I know she is so dedicated to this game and she puts in the work she's not just a pretty face I mean she has been vote she has been voted by ESPN as one of the top sexiest females in the world but she's not looking to just get by on her looks she's putting in the work she's taking it seriously mm -hmm. she's she's training for this game and this sport harder than than most people are she is in the uh, the very top in that regard in terms of who is putting in the work in my opinion and Emily has really come a long way she's been playing a lot of the events um, she's been participating 
in more and more different type of events and she's staying in action and practicing and stuff as well so you know i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that i think both of these girls are actually gonna do well out there awesome well i'm looking forward to seeing how things turn out for them and i know they've got a lot of uh great coverage happening for that event and we wish them all the best of luck so I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up for the day, JT, and I, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. If you want to um, say anything to end, end out the show. No, I just want to say thank you again to uh, all of our contributors and everyone who's helped support NYC Grind along the way. And thank you to um, all of our joint venture partners that we've worked with along the way, all the different billiard media companies, all the different photographers anyone who's helped out in any way and we're very open-minded and willing to work with you know anyone who really has the right intention to grow the sport and it's all about really teaming up with the right people to make a greater contribution and i see a lot of that lately i see a lot of really great positive vibes going into the billiards industry i see a lot of creativity and creative projects going on and i'm optimistic i continue to be optimistic every time i've come on the show i'm optimistic and i and i, I just continue to be and it's not that I'm just optimistic and you know just kind of twiddling my thumbs. I'm working on helping contribute to this industry and helping to lead a team of very passionate people, including yourself, Allison, to make the greatest contribution possible. So, you know, the future is bright for pool, in my opinion, and certainly NYC Grind's not going anywhere. We're looking forward to bigger, better, and uh, um, uh, a greater opportunity to make the m most contributions. Ultimately, it's like the heart of everything is really about thanks and it's about helping to empower this this industry yeah i couldn't agree more jt and i appreciate everyone out there who uh supports american billiard radio and to all the different contributors i think that collaborating and being creative is is what is uh going to help make the the future of pool even even better so on that note i want to Thank everybody once again for tuning in, and we will catch you guys next week. I'm Allison Fisher signing off here on Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. All right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week right here on American Billiard Radio. Today I am talking to Joe Young down at Fat Albert's Billiards in Somerdale, New Jersey. How are you, Joe? Good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Um, so why don't you tell us tell us a little bit about uh, Fat Alberts and a little bit of history on the room? Yeah, sure. Uh, it, uh, Fat Alberts is owned by uh, two two partners, uh, Albert Finelli and myself. Um, Al <clears throat> has been in the uh, the pool industry for a very long time. Um, had his own room. Um, my history was uh, in, in billiard supplies and shoe repair, and mm -hmm. the two of us hooked up and and we decided to go go in together. And a couple of years ago, we opened uh, Fat Alberts. Awesome. You guys, what kind of uh, equipment do you guys have down there? Do yeah, we have, uh, a, yeah, we have 11-9-foot tables, one of which is a 9-foot a, a diamond pro-am. And then we have what we call League Central, which is 6-7-foot uh, diamond uh, smart tables, uh, specifically nice. geared towards the league play. So nice. we have uh, the, the rooms cut in half, so... Um, we have, uh, you know, for, for general, for the general public and, and, and a lot of our, our dedicated pool players, they like to play on the nine foot gold crowns and, and the, and the, uh, the diamond table. And then mm -hmm. for, uh, for the league play, we have all those, the, the six diamonds. That's great. So you, you mentioned tournaments and leagues, so why don't you, uh, fill in everybody about that? 
Yeah, a really popular event is Fridays. Uh, we have a Friday night um, uh, eight ball chip tournament um, that's also played on on um, on the on the, on the seven foot diamonds. And then on Sunday nights we have a nine foot, I mean a, a nine ball uh, chip tournament um, Sunday evenings, and that that's uh, very popular as well. Uh, for whatever reason, the the, the, the tournaments, the weekly tournaments on the nine foot uh, just uh, aren't as popular anymore. But the the league play has really uh, taken over the scene. Right. What are the uh, what are the chip tournaments about for anybody that doesn't know what what those are? Yeah, essentially it's a uh, a, a handicap system. We, we base it uh, on um, the experiences or, or the skill levels of uh, the players that come in. Um, uh-huh. And uh, for example, if they have a, a, an APA or a TAP or, or uh, another another rating, um, and based on the other players in the field that 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 know the player, um, we either give them out either three, four, five, six chips. Um, essentially, those are um, turned to turn to the table. Every time you lose, you would give up a chip. Right. Huh. Interesting. I love I love talking to you, rumors, because everybody has like these these uh, you know little features or ideas that they put you know put in to uh, draw on more players or whatever. Oh, sure. Interesting. I like that. Yes, we've had uh, we've had like really really top we've had top players come into the room and they, they would obviously get less chips. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, it's re- really interesting where, where when you have a an open uh, handicapped uh, tournament um, where, where the field is is really open. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we have we have uh, very low skill level players that that end up fishing um, uh, occasionally. So it's it's really interesting to see the field. That's cool. Uh, always good to uh, you know attract all the whole gamut, you know, the whole range of players. That's good to have. Absolutely. Well, Awesome. So, uh, anything else about the room? Do you guys uh, serve food or drink or anything like that? No, not yet. Um, we're we're certainly looking into uh, you know, moving in that direction. Uh, that's the next phase of our, our business plan. Um, but uh, on-site amenities, we have some some light vending, uh, some arcades. Um, we have a, a pro shop for all your billiard supplies, um, as well as uh, um, while you wait queue repair. Um, so all, all that's uh, on-site. Awesome, and and you do all the queue repair and all that. I do. Awesome. All right. Well, if you guys need work, talk to Joe. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. Anything else you want to add and and let people know about? Any uh, you guys have any special like table rates or anything like that? Yeah, we have a daily rate um, every day. We open every day at eleven o'clock in the morning. Um, our, our daily special is eleven to six p.m. for for just ten dollars. That's seven hours of all you can play pool for ten bucks. Um, after that, our regular rates are five dollars an hour per person. All right, Joe. Why don't you uh, remind everybody or let everybody know how they can get a hold of you and where you guys are located? Yeah, sure. Well, we're located at six hundred north of Whitehorse Pike in Summerdale, New Jersey. Uh, the number to the room is eight five six three four four seven two nine eight. You can always check it out on Facebook at uh, facebook.com/slash Fat Alberts Billiards. Awesome. Well, Joe, I appreciate you uh, getting on the phone with me today. And, and just for everybody out there listening, you'll be able to find all that information on uh, the Go Play Pool app. We're going to put up a limited profile for Joe and hopefully get these guys signed up with us. And then you'll be able to uh, know what their tournament schedules are and, and what's going on on any particular day. So make sure you check out the Go Play Pool app. It's free to download on Android and iOS and has a ton of cool stuff on it. We just... Uh, we just put a huge segment on it with drills and videos and 
all sorts of information, so you can spend hours on there. Um, so check it out. And, Joe, thank you again for taking time out of your busy day to get on the phone oh, with me. I know, I know you got a lot to do, so I'll let you get back to what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, thanks again. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us for another edition of the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week right here on American Billiards Radio. Join us next time. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton. We're starting something a little new this week. Um, on AZ Billiards, for the longest time, I have wanted to do uh, spotlight articles on the various regional tours. So we're going to take that idea and we're going to move it here to American Billiard Radio. And with that in mind, I'm joined this week by the tour the tour director of the Joss Northeast Nine Ball Tour, Mike Zuglin. How you doing, Mike? Great. How are you, Mike? I'm good. I'm good. Um, you guys are are in a little break on the tour right now, right? Uh, yeah. I've been uh, we've been doing this for quite some time, and uh, generally uh, we took the summer off um, because um, it can be hard on the host sites to uh, come up with added money for a tournament during the summer months. Um, and, uh, you know, some of us need a break. <laughs> well, that makes sense. I mean, you're normally at it week after week after week when the tour is in full swing. Yeah, there are times when they're one one right after the other. But there are breaks lately. There are less pool rooms now, so we have less, less stops. So um, there can be breaks. But if there are times when there's uh, two, three, sometimes even four right back to back, right in a row. You've got a number of rooms out on the East Coast that just seem to hold tour stops for for all the different tours out there, and you've got a handful of different tours. I mean, it's really got to make things a little easier for you to have those rooms that you know are going to be there for you every year. Well, you, you can say that, but uh, <laughs> I don't take anything for granted anymore. <laughs> with the state of the industry it used to be that way and used to be able to depend on everybody, you know, to stay in and, uh, um, support the game and, uh, keep the tournaments going. But sometimes, uh, you know, in the last few years, uh, a lot of places have closed. We've lost a lot of rooms to closure and, um, some of the other rooms aren't doing so well. And some are switching over to a different type of, uh, atmosphere and, and, you know, so this this brings the the total number of tournaments the, that I can do down, and plus, as you said, the competition. There's a I can't even keep track of how many pool tours there are now. So, um, and of course, you know, they they're all they all do it the best. Each one of them is the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a little dig from me. <laughs> all right, because I've been getting digs all my life. <laughs> 
Before you started the tour, uh, some people may not know that you were actually extremely well-known as a player out on the East Coast. Uh, can you tell us how long you played? Well, let's see. I believe I started uh, when I was eight. <laughs> uh, I believe uh, my first big thing was when I was 10 years old, I played uh, Minnesota Fats at a Montgomery Wards when he was here to uh, promote his uh billiard equipment that Montgomery Ward used to sell and and uh I guess I beat him I don't know I don't know I, but that's what they say and there's a newspaper article that one of the local uh newspapers uh, gave me the nickname Albany Skinny which uh absolutely does not fit anymore unless you're talking about a pinky or something <laughs> <laughs> so then uh you know I played all through uh high school but I never really um, played in tournaments until uh, I believe it was 19. I went over and played in the Eastern States Open, which was one of the bigger tournaments um, uh, in the country at the time. And uh, I did pretty well. I believe it came in fifth. So uh beat uh, Mike Siegel, beat uh, a few other guys that were top players at the time, and I uh, wasn't supposed to. And piss those guys off. <laughs> I guess I've been pissing them off ever since. I don't know. And then uh, I saw that there was a few bucks to be made in the tournaments, and it was fun. So I just started going to tournaments. And uh, most of them were in New England. So straight pool was always your best game? Um, I don't know. Um, I won more nine-ball tournaments than I ever won in straight pool. Was that because there were more nine ball tournaments or? Yeah, probably. Okay. But I, I, I don't consider myself uh, a better player at either game or used to be. But, uh, I did used to play a lot of straight pool. Um, I actually learned the game playing probably with Bill Dunsmore uh, through the years. We used to play sessions of 12, 24 hours at a time. And I learned a lot playing him. And um, uh, Dick Lane used to come up here uh, once a year, maybe, and I played him a few times when I was young. And he frustrated me to the point where it was either give it up or get better. <laughs> and next thing you know, I was beating him. So. <laughs> and and I do want to apologize. I, I want to go back. I don't I don't do you justice by saying, "Oh, you used to be a pool player," because I've seen you play, and and you still are a pool player it just seems like you've you've taken the tour as a primary focus instead of playing yeah it's become harder and harder you know the eyes are going and uh, uh i i i am very meticulous in how i run my tournaments and uh i try to stay on top of everything and to play and and um and, and do that at the same time has become pretty much impossible so I just I just took a little, you know, I haven't played in, in over a year in one of my tournaments, and uh, I expect to get back to it, you know, sometime, but um, it's like, uh, it's hard. And, you know, all these young guys, uh, they play great, great pool. Right. <laughs> so, and, and you know, they see me now, and I'm like a bye. I don't want to be a bye. <laughs> I remember one time... Uh, Boston Shorty was at a tournament and, uh, you know, he was getting up there in his years and his game wasn't as good as he used to be. And somebody said to him, 
you have you got the seven. What do you want to do, old man? And I'm not going to say who the player was, but so Shorty looked at the guy and he said, I've been waiting 40 years for somebody to say that to me. <laughs> Come get the balls. And Shorty proceeded to rob the guy. <laughs> and, and rightly so, he should have. Right. But, I mean, you know, he was like almost 70, I believe, at the time. <laughs> so maybe I'm waiting for somebody to, ask, to offer me the seven. That's not an invitation, so don't be calling me up, anybody. <laughs> um, so what year did you start the tour? 1997. Okay, because we have records back to 99. I didn't know how much further back before that. What prompted you to start the tour in 97? Well, I, I, um, there was a tour in New England, um, the All About Pool Tour. Dawn Murin at the time, Dawn Hopkins, but she was Dawn Murin at the time. She started it, I believe. And um, it was a great tour, you know, and there was great events, and I used to go and play and and make a few bucks, you know, it wasn't a lot of money, but, uh, you know, it was, it was kept you in stroke and you got to play and, you know, it was fun. And, um, um, then that kind of started to wind down and, you know, I had my pool room. I opened that in 1988 and, um, um, I was running a couple tournaments in, in my pool room, but none of the, the all about pool tour. Cause that was pretty much strictly in, uh, in new England. I'm in New York. So, um, then the guys in New York, started uh, what they called the Empire State Tour. And I was part of that. And um, uh, that lasted a few seasons. And, uh, you know, there was a little discrepancy among the room owners and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I said, well, that, I, you know, they're all trying to tell me how to run pool tournaments. And, and, you know, I've been playing in them all my life. I've had a pool room at that time for probably 10 years. And uh, I ran a zillion tournaments in my own pool room at the time, so I thought I knew what I was doing. So I kind of got out of that, the Empire State Tour, which was on, it was on its last legs anyway, and then there was nothing. So um, I used to call Danny James, and when I had a tournament in my room, and I would ask him for uh, a cue that I could raffle off. You know, I tried to buy something cheap from him, you know, and every time... Um, he, he would he would give them to me, and I, you know I I didn't want him to give them to me, but you know he would give them to me. So one day we were talking, and I said uh, it'd be nice if there was another tour, and he said why don't you start one? So I started it, <laughs> and he's been given he's given us five hundred cues since then. <laughs> yeah, that was before um, it was common for for cues or for cues to sponsor tours, wasn't it? Right. I believe, I can't say that it was my idea, but um, around here, I, I don't know. I, I just thought that raffling off a, a nice queue would be a good way to uh, get some money, you know, to pay for the added money of the tournament. So uh, I believe the, the only other tour in operation maybe at that time that I, well, there was other tours, but I don't know uh, the bigger ones, may have been just the Viking tour. And they may have been doing a Q raffle too, but, uh, you know, that uh, uh, Danny James is one of the best, most generous guys in this business. I mean, he's told me stories about pool players he doesn't even know, calling them up with hard luck stories, and he always took care of them, gave them cues. You know, I'm sure he gave out money, (laughs) but, you know, he'd do anything for anybody. 
and uh, he's still doing it. So. So you've been running the tour for 17 years. Do you ever right. think you'd run it for 17 years? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Now you've had various uh, tour directors who who took that off of your plate throughout the years, haven't you? Right. Yes. I had uh, in the beginning it was Pat Murray, and then uh, you know he stayed a few seasons, and then uh, Joe Tucker stayed a couple of seasons, and since then I've been doing it myself. There really, it's really not enough money to be made, you know. Uh, I, but uh, while I, when I had them, I was still playing and I was winning, so you know I was making a few bucks, you know, at my own tournaments, just like the. Um, which is, you know, the whole point of it, uh, um, from a player's point of view, and uh, and also from a, a tour operator's point of view, make a few bucks if you can. But uh, you know, then uh, Joe left and uh, just said, "What the heck? I can do this." <laughs> so I've been doing it ever since. And then, uh, you know, just it's just been the last few years that uh, my game has gone downhill a little bit. So I started, decided not to play anymore. So I just run them. And I see this year there were 14 stops. Is that a typical uh, season? No, that's low. But that's that's been the, the norm, you know, the last uh, the last few few years. Probably going to be similar to that this season, this up and coming season. It was a couple seasons ago that you started running your second chance tournament on Sundays. Can you tell us how that came together? Uh, yeah. I, Trying to come up with an idea to, um, well, when we do these tournaments, it's a Saturday-Sunday tournament. Every time, uh, Saturday morning, it's uh, you come and you sign up, and there's a big crowd Saturday and all day Saturday, Saturday night, and I try to get it down to the final eight players for the next day, Sunday. What was happening was, you come in on Sunday, and we were starting at uh, noon, Sometime, but now I like to start at 11. You come back on Sunday, and at noon, there'd be 10 guys in the place. The eight players, me and somebody else, the room owner. <laughs> so I said, well, we've got to get some more people in here. So, uh, you know, then, then spectators, if there were any, would come in, you know, as the day progressed. You know what I mean? But um, I said, how can we get this, uh, you know, this atmosphere, Saturday atmosphere, to carry over into Sunday a bit? So I decided to, um, you know, all my tournaments are 2,000 added. I, I took 500 of the 2,000 added. Sorry, Mike DeShane. Sorry, J- Jeremy Saucy. Sorry, Ron Cassian. Sorry, all you guys that are winning all the money. <laughs> <laughs> I took that 500 out of there, and uh, I, I put that into uh, the second chance tournament, 500 added, $20 entry fee, and uh, non-pro level players only. And if anybody wants to know what a non-pro level player is, um, I make or how I determine that it's, it's by me. I decide <laughs> there's really no other way to decide. I decide. So, um, what, what that's done is now, uh, sometimes we have 15, 20, even more players the second day. So now you got the eight guys in the tournament and you got uh, 15 or 20 more guys on top of that, you know, coming back the next day. So better for the room. And the weaker players have a chance to cash, you know, in the tournament. So, so, and that that's that's happened. A lot of guys look come playing the main event, <laughs> so they could play in a second chance tournament. 
have you have you gotten flack from the top players about that 500 that's come out? No. Good. No. All right. Um, we're going to take a real short break, and when we come back, I want to talk about your upcoming event, uh, Turning Stone. But before we do that, like I say, we'll take a real short break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to Mike Zuglin this week. So your regular season came to an end, or, or the last uh, the last pool room event uh, of the season was this last weekend. So your next event is September 18th through the 21st, Turning Stone Classic 22. Can you tell us how those events got started? All right. Um, I... Uh... I always wanted to do, you know, bigger events. We did actually do um, a couple 25,000 added events before Turning Stone up in Portland, Maine. And I also had a couple uh, 15,000 events, added events. Uh, I believe one was in uh, Chelmsford, Mass., and one was in uh, um, Bedford prior to Turning Stone. But then... um, um, Turning Stone had opened up, uh, I believe, in the mid-90s. And, you know, I, I used to go out there, and uh, it was just it was nothing more than uh, a big, about the size of a big pool room at the time, and it had table games in it, you know, craps and blackjack, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I, I like to play a little crap every now and then. So we used to go out there, and uh, you could see that the place was, uh, it was going to grow, you know. So from the beginning... I always said to people uh, out there, you know, that work there, listen, you guys should do a pool tournament, you know, when you get this place, uh, you know, when you get the, the hotel up and this and that and blah, 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 you know, and I, I, I was relentless. <laughs> they didn't even have the building yet, <clears throat> but I, I could see it coming. So then they built a the hotel and I tried and I tried and I tried. And then uh, one day I got a call and uh, it was from a, a it was, this guy had a production company in New Jersey. They contacted him. I don't know why they contacted him. They should have just contacted me. So the first event, you know, can you throw something together? You know, I had like two months to throw something together. So I put together a, a 32-man, um, $30,000 invitational. And the casino gave us, uh, you know, I worked it out with them. I went in and talked to them. And they put up 20000 Four hundred, I believe, and I charged all the players three hundred show up money. It was an invitation. The last place paid three hundred anyway. So um, we went in there, and uh, you know, they, they we had the eight tables, and uh, we had a two day tournament. It was great. You know, I, I don't remember who won. It might have been Mika. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Um, and then uh, that was so good. Uh, I went back in for another meeting, and uh, the following year we did another thirty two player invitational. And a $50,000 rated tournament. We had a $50,000 rated tournament there. Bustamante won it. And then, uh, and then, uh, some, somebody decided, uh, some vice president decided he didn't want to do them anymore. So we were out for a couple of years. Then I got the call again and we've been doing them ever since. <laughs> ever since. 25000 added. Your 22nd event is coming up. Now, knowing the pro events out there, 
I know a number of them have a hard time drawing what they consider a full field, yet you have a full field every time you have the tournament, and you have a, a waiting list of, of a number of players, don't you? Always. I, I, I don't know what to I can only attribute that to um, me hustling at uh, each tournament that I have, and uh, and it's such a great place. I mean, you've been there. Most of the people that have been there, if you haven't been there, you don't know what you're missing. It's one of the best venues you could ever imagine, which if I do say so myself, I came up with the, the layout. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, before it was in the event center, it was downstairs in a ballroom, uh, which is uh, where they have uh, weddings, et cetera. But, um, yeah, it's just a great event. I keep the price down on the entry fee. You know, the prizes are, are good, I think. You know, you hear somebody whine about it. it's only 8000 for first, but it's 2000 for fit six. You know, so a lot of tournaments are 20000 for first and only 2000 for fit sixth. <laughs> so I like to spread it out a little bit. So, uh, you know, everybody makes a little money. And uh, <clears throat> um, always have a full field. And it's, this one has been full for three weeks. And this is June, and the tournament's in September. <laughs> well, it really is a great venue. I never, I never attended it when it was down in the ballroom, but up in the event center, they take great care of you. They've got food right there. They've got drink right there. The rooms are great. Uh, you know, it, it's out in the middle of nowhere, but I don't have a problem with that. I, I normally have no desire to go anyplace else when I'm at a big tournament like that, so it works out perfect for me. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's country, countryside. <laughs> There's lakes nearby. If it's the summer, they have uh, four or five golf courses right there at the casino. And they're PGA, uh, uh, one of them's a PGA uh, course. <clears throat> they used to have a, they had a couple of tournaments there. And, uh, you know, it's uh, basically farmland, lakes. It depends on what time of year you go. If you go in the, in the winter, you know, if you want to go skiing, you could do that. But <laughs> <laughs> most of the people like to stay at the tournament. And they like to go to the casino, you know, so. <clears throat> well, I know I was told... Uh, sometime in the last couple of years by uh, some uh, a member of the staff there at Turning Stone that they have a number of concerts. They have different uh, acts that come in and, and do concerts there in the event center where the tournament is. And he had said that a handful of the the performers like the venue so much that they will come back after their tour is over just so they can relax and spend some time there enjoying the, the property. Oh, really? See, I don't. I I didn't know that. See, I think what they're doing is they're waiting for you to come back in the off season and and you know enjoy the property. <laughs> well, running these big tournaments, uh, you know, I just want to say, um, I, I when I first started doing this with these people, I went in and I talked to everybody and we had a nice discussion and and uh, we talked about different things like. Uh, um, admission charges, et cetera. And I always, uh, my feeling on that was it should be free admission. <clears throat> We're in that room uh, for four days, about 16 hours a day. So if you have a, a, 
admission charge. Uh, you have to man every door for 16 hours a day. Um, and then um, um, what are you going to charge? I mean, how much can you charge? It's not like, a, a, you know, I, I don't know um, how much it costs to even go to a tournament. You know, all I know is what I see at the at the U.S. Open, what the, their prices are, which is uh, I, I don't know if that's, you know, she's only like 10 bucks a day, right? Or 10 bucks a session if you just want to walk in or walk around. Yeah, I believe so. But if you want like special reserve seats, they cost more, right? Right. So my feeling was, uh, and I convinced them that it should be free because what people are going to do is they're going to come in, watch their match, check the board, uh, uh, watch the match they want to match. And in the meantime, where are they going to go? They're going to go in the casino. They're going to go have something to eat. They're going to, you know, they're going to be floating around the property. So if you charge them 10 bucks to get in, they're going to feel obligated to sit in there for a while, <laughs> you know? So I convinced them it should be free admission. And uh, <clears throat> another little pet peeve of mine is uh, that uh, people think that uh, it's, it doesn't cost anything to run the tournament. Uh, just so everybody knows, nothing is free. I don't get the tables for free. <laughs> I pay for them. Everything is, I have to pay for everything. So, um, and, and even the players, I negotiated a deal for them uh, to make sure they got a, a discount on the rooms. Uh, the people that are on our posters, which we give away for free, those people get a free room and a little bit of food. So there's one for everybody. You know, there's a little information for you. <laughs> They've been getting it since day one. So if anybody ever saw anybody on that poster, they got a free room and they got fed. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've had people walk up to me and, and you know say, "Well, geez, I heard that this guy is like it's a big secret. It's it, it never meant was meant to be a secret." So, um, you know, and and we we decide uh, you know every time who should be on there. It's not you know it's it's not uh, a science, right? <laughs> It's uh, it's be uh, between me and the casino we decide. So. Okay, and and Turning Stone will be the last event of the 2013-2014 season. When do you normally kick things off for the start of a new season? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, probably start right after it. I'm I, I'm working on the schedule, but generally we start the first week in October. So I don't see why that should change. Okay, and usually there's two turning stones a year, right? Uh, there has been, yes. I'm negotiating for uh, for next season right now. Okay. I don't know. It, it, it's it's a frustrating process. <laughs> and you never know. Everyone could be the last. That's why I always tell everybody, if you're there, please fill out a comment card. You know, you know. I'm not telling everybody. I tell everybody, tell the truth. But fill out a comment card. Put it down and, and hand it in. Give it to them, so they can. They do read them, and and if there's if you have a problem with something, write it on there. They want to know that, and, but but uh, because there's no admission charge, and because um, um, I don't know, because of the way that the tournament is uh, laid out and set up, there's really no way for them to track us. So, uh, you know, they, they it, it's like. Uh, you know, any other event, they pay, whatever, 50000 for the performer, and they sell 
fifty thousand dollars worth of tickets, admission tickets. So they know, you know, they know if they broke even or they know they made money. They know it's not the same here. Right. You know, one department pays for everything, and and it's a loss for them. So, but the overall property probably benefits, but there's really no way to tell. You know what I mean? Right. So every time I tell everybody, fill out a comment card and tell them if you like the tournament. If you don't like the tournament, put that down too. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I let it speak for itself. Somebody doesn't like it, I want to know. Of course, after somebody loses, they tell me they don't like it. Of course. <laughs> I've been going through that for 100 years. <laughs> well, all in all, it, it's a great tournament. It's one of my favorite tournaments to attend every year. Uh Love the oatmeal raisin cookies. They're, they're the best. <laughs> All right, Mike, um, I appreciate your time. I wish you luck with uh, your waiting list for Turning Stone 22. And we will have news, and I'm sure there will be streaming and brackets and the whole nine yards come September. But I will let you get back to it. I know it's early out there, and I know you're a very busy man. Okay, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Um, Thanks, Mike. We will uh, talk to everybody or, or we'll have another guest for everybody next week. Thanks a lot. Hi, I'm Scott Lee. And I'm Randy G. And welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. This week's topic is the quiet eye study. And uh, so we're talking about personal eye patterns and the quiet eye. What is that, Randy? Well, uh, we talked earlier about our our personal eye patterns, but the the quiet eye... um, It came from a a published study from the University of Florida. Florida, right. It came out in June of 1999, so it's been around a while. And and ironically, uh, we've been teaching the quiet eye for uh, 30, 35 years, Mm -hmm. and and they uh, validated the fact of what we were teaching is probably the right process. That's pretty neat stuff. But here's here's actually what the quiet eye study says, and I'm going to read this, Scott. Okay. All right. Those who focus the longest on a meaningful object such as the cue ball and or the target ball before shooting were more successful in their shots. Then it goes on to say, out of 24 players, those who had the ability to control their eye movements by focusing on certain locations are the one who had the most successes. And that's exactly what we're training our players to do, is to have a long focus on both the cue ball and the object ball after Amy is completed, but before they go into their warm-up cycle. And, and to put it into layman's terms, let's, let's talk to a pool player here. Our eyes and our brain need to understand what we're looking at before we start moving our body again. Exactly, and this has two overall benefits. Number one, it helps us red light or green light the shot once our warm-up cycle is complete, either go or don't go, and it also helps us recognize on a subconscious level not to shoot when we know we've done something that's out of normal that we've trained ourselves to do. Well, let's add something else in there too. 
I, I mean, I can only talk about my own personal mental part, but when I have quiet eyes, um, my whole game is quiet. Absolutely. It, it, so it's more than quiet eyes. It's quiet brain, quiet body. And it allows us to function at a higher, consistent playing level. Easy to do, but boy, if you're moving, if your cue is moving and your eyes are moving at the same time, you are not in the quiet eye. So a quick rundown on how you would do this process. Step into the shot line. Verify your aim. Stop your cue stick long enough to tell if you're lined up. You can't tell if you're lined up when your cue's moving. Once your aiming is complete, give a long focus between one and two seconds on the cue ball. Cue stopped. Focus on the object ball. Another long focus, one to two seconds, with the cue stopped. Then you go back to the cue ball, do your normal warm-up cycle. Stop again. This is where you red light or green light the shot. Most of the time you're going to go eyes to the target and shoot. Yeah, yeah. Move when your eyes are there. You moved after they're uh, focused. So the three different eye patterns are basically when you change your eyes from the cue ball to the object ball at what point in that routine. Yeah. But every way works. Uh, this is something that's guaranteed to improve all ability players from beginners to pros. And we, uh, we've been teaching it a long time, yeah. Randy. Yeah, I'd I, I like somebody to come out and say we're doing something right here. Absolutely. I'm Randy G. And I'm Scott Lee, and that's been today's One Minute Pool Instructor. Join us uh, next week when we're going to be talking about cue ball quantification. Welcome back to American Blue Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report with myself, Mark Cantrell, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And again this week, we're continuing with our series of interviews with the Moscone Cup potentials or hopefuls. And um, this week, I'm joined by Justin Bergman. How are you doing, Justin? All right. How are you doing? Doing good. Um, well, I'll, I'll jump right in. I mean, you know, you must be pretty happy and honored that you were picked just to be in the eight potentials, the eight hopefuls, where there's so many players out there that, you know, are worthy of the spot, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, this is a dream come true for me. This is the biggest thing they have going on in pool. And uh, I know, like, I'm friends with everybody on the team, and I've known Mark Wilson, the coach, since I was 10 years old. He used to give me lessons when I, when I first started off playing. So, yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, it, well, and, and that, you know, like you said, this is the biggest event in pool and probably the biggest spotlight that you've ever had put on you. Oh, yeah, by far, like. I mean, people that don't even play pool, like when I was in high school, nobody knew nothing about pool, but they had asked me about the Moscone Cup. You know, like they get into it. It's crazy. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm talking to you about a lot of the things I've already talked about with the other interviews that we've done. Um, what, do, what do you think of the... Uh, process of picking the team is different this time um 
in the past it's gone by ranking points and last year was the 20th anniversary match and basically picked everybody for that one. Um, and this is the first time the team's ever had a chance at the beginning, basically, of the year to get together and bond and become a team. So do you think this is the right way to go? By the captain just pick whoever he wants, do you think, you know, there should be an element of the ranking system involved? Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely how they're doing it this time. It's definitely different. And I think that they need to change it up. But, um, yeah, I mean, I could see both ways where if you go by the point system, then you're going to get the best players that year, you know, usually. Not not every time. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, the reason why I don't think the point system works is because they only have five tournaments a year. And, you know, a lot of the best players don't even go to them tournaments. So, and uh, I like it how they did it this year, you know, like you get to bond as a team and it's more of a team. Yeah, I mean, I think they're both good ideas, but uh, I definitely like our team this year and I like what Mark's doing. He's a real smart guy, so. Right. Do you, um, talking about having a chance to bond, you went with the uh, team and you did some fundraising and that kind of thing out there in San Diego. Well, a couple of weeks ago now? Yep, yep. How was that? Team went up. Oh, it was awesome. It couldn't have went any better. Like, I mean, I knew a lot of the guys already, but there was a few of them, you know, I didn't really know, and we got to know each other. And, yeah, it was good. What do you think was the uh, – do you think the Navy SEALs section side of things, uh, that section was good to the – could you come away with anything from it? Yes. Oh yeah, like um, that. Yeah, that was an amazing experience. But um, yeah, like we learned a lot about you know teamwork and what they go through and how much they train and you know uh, Mark wants us to be like like the Navy SEALs, you know, which is isn't a bad idea for sure. Like those guys are unbelievable. Right. Um. Only if you look, I don't know if you uh, frequent the internet, AZ Billiards and that kind of thing, the forums, and it's a mixed bag of opinions about the team. And simply oh, because yeah. when, whenever you whenever you do something different, whenever there's change, there's always going to be people who are for change and people who are against change. Um, yeah. I, I, I know there's some negative out there, uh, but I also know there's a lot of positive that are fully behind you guys and, and that kind of thing. But well, what's your thoughts? Do you, do you think there's any truth to the fact that this is a young, potentially inexperienced team for being on in the world stage, so to speak? Because that's where you're going to be, on the world stage. Right. No, yeah, I mean, I understand, uh, I understand the criticism, but, I mean... Uh, like you said, there's going to be critics no matter what. Like, even if you're 100% right, you can't please everybody. But um, I think he's got a smart idea. Like, I'm not, like, I can't go into all the details like Mark can, you know. I'm not, I don't know what's on his mind. But, I mean, I kind of got an idea. And he's definitely on the right track. You know, he wants pulled, he wants to draw the younger crowd. And he wants the younger players in it. And, you know, 
the future of the sport. But I understand people are mad that, you know, Johnny Archer ain't in it. Uh, you know, Dennis Hatch, like, those guys are considered the best players in the world right now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, no matter what, you're going to get critics. So I'm on board. I mean, I support them 100%. Right. Well, I do you, you know this is going to be an, like I said, this is going to be an experience like you've never had before. And it's not just you. Actually, I think it's going to be a different experience for everybody this year because of the venue. But are you prepared? Do you, I don't think you ever can be prepared, but what do you do to prepare yourself for this? If you the final five, because it's going to be loud, Noisy, it's going to bustle, bustle. You you got your promo stuff before you even get there. You got jet lag to deal with. Um, you know how how are you going to mentally prepare yourself? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think. I mean, probably Shane and uh, maybe a couple of other guys have played in like atmospheres like that. And I've never played anything like that. But I mean, I I I mean, I like the pressure. You know, I like. Uh, I mean, I think I'll do well. But um, not you know being cocky or anything. I just I I thrive on that stuff. You know I've played pool sets where where I've been out of town, where I'm playing a guy in his hometown, and everybody's like rooting against you, and uh, you know I'm betting all my money. Like I mean that's pressure right there. So I mean I'm I pro- I'm not gonna fold under the pressure. Right. Well. And hopefully you don't, and you know you're going to give it the the best chance you can. Um, and and what I asked you, and I've said this to everybody else, it's almost a trick question that I asked you, because even oh, you know yeah. I, I, I'm friends with Johnny uh, and some of the other guys Earl have been there many many times, and they've said There's, you can't prepare yourself for, for it. You think you can, but once you get there. It's a whole different experience right. than you even maybe thought it was going to be. So, um, I, you know, every everybody's going to, I'm sure, try and do their best to to mentally yeah. prepare themselves. But this Blackpool uh, Circus, uh, or the venue, it, this is going to be unreal. I mean, this is going to be louder than any other Moscone Cup that has been. Yeah, sorry. Um, All you can do is, you know, prepare the best that you can, you know, practice every day, compete as much as you can, and, you know, that's all you can do. I mean, the rest should take its place. um, Is there um, another question that I've asked everybody so far? Everybody we understand who's been picked can play exceptional pool. We know that about everybody on the team. Right. But other than playing ability, if you take that away from it, what what do you bring to the team itself? What do you bring to the table that's going to help the team or be an advantage in some way? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, I got a couple things. Like, um, for one, I get along with everybody, you know, so there isn't going to be no, like, one-man team, you know, I'm going to get along with everybody and uh, try to help everybody out. And, 
you know, just have a positive attitude with everybody and just root everybody on. But it sounds like everybody so far that I've spoken to, and I don't imagine Shane, Shane's the only one left just for me to talk to, I, I don't think his opinion's going to be much different. Um, but it seems like everybody wants a good, happy, unified team. And you guys have got the best chance to build that team over the next few months. I mean, listen, time's going by really, really fast right now. Because if you think about when you first you were going to be on the uh, potentially on the team, when was that? Three, four months ago? Um, yeah, a couple months ago. I'm not really sure, but... And we're look, he's looking at making the cut in October. But even then, we're looking at the beginning of December for the cut, which is six months away. Right. Hopefully, you guys are going to be able to get together. You know, it comes back to the state of pool a little bit. What tournaments are there where everybody's going to be able to be together and support each other and kind of, you know, do some more bonding? Well, I, I think we're supposed to be going to Louisville I, um, for the BCA trade show. And uh, I don't, I, I really haven't talked to, I mean, I've talked to a couple people, but uh, I haven't spoken with Mark from San Diego just a little bit like, hey, what have you been doing? But nothing about, you know, the team or anything. So right. um, I'm not sure when we're supposed to. I know that he's got some other plans for us, but I'm not sure. Right. Well, I know he's, he's doing everything he can to, you know, have you guys oh, yeah. uh, get together. And, you know, I, I think what Mark's doing, his approach, it's, you know, he's different. It's, it's controversial. I think it's a good thing. It can't be any worse um, than the last few years. You know, we've just kind of, the USA has kind of sucked. Uh, and I hate to say that because I, I cheer for the USA every year. But something definitely had to change. Now, as I've said before, Mark's got a tough job, don't you think? I mean, one, he's going to be putting people in a putting yourself in a position to be an absolute genius hero or all the naysayers say, yeah, well, I told you this was a bad idea. And also, uh-huh. the other part that he's got against, well, not against him, that's going to be tough, is that at some point in October, he's got to make that cut. So three people are going to get disappointed. Right. After he probably sat around dreaming about playing in the Moscone Cup in Blackpool. Now all of a sudden, all those dreams were wasted, kind of, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, no, you make a good point. And, uh, all my, all, I mean, all eight of the players deserve to make it, really, which is a shame because, you know, like in the Ryder Cup in golf, I'm not sure how many make it. I, I think it's like 15 or something. But there's, I mean, even more than the eight that are were selected, there's probably another 20 guys in the States that could have made the team, you know. Oh, absolutely, and, uh, yeah. It just, it sucks, but that's the way the Moscone Cup is. They only take five, so that's that's how it is, but yeah, would definitely you, way more people that deserve a chance at it. Would you, would you have any advice for Mark Wilson on what he should be looking for 
Um, with, with the players? No, I, I mean, I mean, he's been doing this way longer than I have, and you know, I'm just I'm just a player, but uh, I'm sure he'll make the right decision. Yeah. Well, like I said, he's not a he's not an easy test ahead of him. And no. I keep saying it. I. I, and I'll say it again, and I know I probably sound repetitive to the listeners because, you know, I'm trying to get – talk to everybody about the same things so that I'm not giving somebody a, a silly question or a harder question than another and things like that. But, you know, it's, I, I'd love to be the captain of the uh, team. I would love it. If they asked me, which they're never going to, but if they were to ask me, I think that's the greatest thing. But then when you get actually get the job, I'm not sure. Do you want to be in Mark's shoes right now? Right, exactly. So, yeah, but all it all seems easy from the sidelines. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. You know, I would be happy with any of the five, really. Like, I mean, I know some people have their ideas, and I'm sure a lot of people know one person's going to be on it for sure, but... um like I, I don't care. I just really want to go, you know. Like obviously, I want to win really bad. I mean, probably as much as anybody. But uh, I just want to have the chance to go, and I would be happy to play with any of them five. Um, you know, I've I've heard talk, talk rumors or where you know I can't remember. I've heard it from a couple of different places that no matter who the five are that are picked. They're going to try and find a way to get the other three at least to go to the Moscone Cup, go yeah. to uh, Blackpool. Have you heard the same thing? I've heard it, but uh, obviously nothing's for sure yet, which I, I think that'd be awesome, you know. Like, if I didn't make it, I would still love to go. Right. And, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, Mark's going to have a soft spot for everybody. You know, it's not, it's, it's, again, cutting the team down is going to be the biggest nightmare that I, I absolutely would not want. So, anyway, mm-hmm. um, is there uh, any other things you'd like to talk about with the Moscone Cup and how you feel about it? Oh, you know, I've just been watching it, you know, like on YouTube and just like the past, um, like, they got this thing on there, like, the, the greatest moments of the Moscone Cup, like, top five greatest moments. Man, right. like, I think everybody should watch it. It's crazy. It's like a soccer game. It don't, it's not even like pool. You know, you play a pool tournament over here, and if somebody, like, makes a great shot, you know, a couple people clap. Or I mean, this is crazy. It's like a basketball game or something. Wait, now, now, what is that called? It's Moscone Cup greatest moments? Is that what you plug into I, YouTube? Yeah, I think it's the top five greatest moments in the Moscone Cup. Okay, I'll have to check that out. I've seen, I've, I've tried to watch or be at as many of the Moscone Cups as I could, and uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of things that come off differently when you watch them on TV, and or you know the greatest moments that you could have missed, you know. So I'd be interested right. to see that. Um. Yeah, well, like three of them are Earl Strickland, but still, it still works. It's still pretty funny. Um, do you have any predictions for who's actually going to make the team? Oh, no, no predictions. I I will say this. Um, 
I think the only one that's guaranteed on the team is Shane. And I, I'm not even going to say guarantee. I just think he'll make it just because his just because he I think he's the best player in the world right now. And you know, he's been on it already three or four times, so Right. He's, well, he's got the experience. Uh, he's got the playing ability. He's got the sportsmanship, you know, that right. Mark's looking for. But I I also know not to talk out of school that nobody's guaranteed a spot, including Shane. If for some reason Shane right. doesn't want to do what's required, then he, he's, you know, he, he's not going to put him on the team and make, give him, say him separate standards than everybody else, should I say. That's the, the I guess that's right. the best way to, to put it. No, yeah, exactly. Like, and I, I don't, I didn't mean uh, like he was guaranteed on the team. I just thought, you know, if if anybody, on, you know, if I had to pick one guy that was going to be on it, it would probably be him. But like you said, you know, if he don't put in the work, and but I'm sure he will. But um, uh, yeah, he'll definitely put in the work. He, that's what I think. That's what gets Shane. I, I, I don't think he's putting in work to him. I don't think it's a matter of him putting in work and going, oh, man, I got to go practice. He just freaking loves the game. Oh, yeah. He's not, he's not like work. He's what he wants to do. If you if he was a school, you know, and didn't have to work a day, worry about a penny for as long as he lives, he'd still be playing pool. No, yeah, you're right. And that's how I was told you have to love what you do. You know, if you don't, you're never going to be... You could be good, but you won't be great like it. You know, um, it's crazy. I was telling a guy the other day a story about him. He was playing somebody a big set for like ten dollars or $20,000 in Vegas. And they're playing a race to a hundred, And they're playing, you know, a race to 30 one day, a race to 30 the next day, and then they're going to finish it off. And uh, he's like... Robin, he beats him like 30 to 5 or 30 to 6 the first day. And the guy he's playing, he walks out the building and he's he's in the casino getting drunk or something. You know, Shane goes, he goes and grabs another table and starts playing a guy for $5 a game. And uh, they play for like a couple hours and then he gets done. And I'm like, okay, you know, he, he's going to go like relax or something. He's going to go to the room. Nope. He goes and gets the balls for the bar table and starts practicing his break on the bar table. I'm like, wow. I've got, that's I'll, what I'll it takes. I'll tell you a, a similar story. I'll, people are listening to listen to you, not me, but I, I've got to tell you a different uh, story. Uh, I did an event with Earl and Shane in Helena, Montana. And... We would do, we did this event in the ballroom, a, a function banquet room of an Eagles Lodge, and we had to have a special table brought in. I mean, there's a separate room. There's a banquet room, and then there's the bar area that has two or three, uh, you know, like valley tables in there. And so they brought this table, and all the guys who had helped bring the table in were taking advantage of the free pool time and playing you know, on the table, and Shane came by to say hi and and that kind of thing. This is the day before the event was was to start. So all these guys are sitting around playing on the match table in one room, 
and I go into the bar and sit down and have a beer. I look over, and there's Shane. He's got a house cue. He's took a cue out the rack, and he's putting quarters in the machine, in in, in the table. Mm-hmm. And, and just running balls out on, on this little rinky-dink, uh, not-the-best-quality, best-class table, and just putting quarters in with a house cue and playing. And I went back into the other room and said, is there any reason why the best player in the world, or at least in the country, is it out there playing quarters in that bar box, playing with a house cue, and you guys are playing on this brand-new, nice diamond table? And they're like, well, we didn't know, because all you had to do was come in and say, can I hit some? And obviously, they'd be happy to sit around and watch him practice. Uh, but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. It was on his own. There was nobody else around. He was just on the bar table, point to send in hand balls around with a house cue. So, right, that's yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. Yeah, I'm sure Tiger Woods or any of the real top athletes are that way. You, I mean, it's like nonstop work, and you yeah. have to love it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, just I, uh, I wish you the best of luck. I know there's a lot of people on your side, and um, a lot of people that want not just your side but the team side. They want to see the team do well, and we've as we. You guys go in as the underdog, which to me puts more pressure on the European side. Yeah, exactly. If you to play an eight-year-old boy tournament, you know that you are supposed to rob this kid. Now, all of a sudden, the kid has a little bit of game and takes a couple of wrecks from you, and they start sweating a little bit. <laughs> right. You, you know? I'm not supposed and, and that's how the Europeans may think, feel about it as well. Uh, that you guys are the underdog. They've got everything. They've got nothing to gain. If they win, everybody will say, well, they should have won. If they lose, they're going to go, how come they lost? It's all these youngsters. So. No, yeah, that's a good point, too. And it's kind of like, you know, if you play, play somebody like, you know, in American pool, you know, it, Everybody gambles against each other, like the good players play each other and they gamble against each other. And, you know, the Europeans, not so much. It's like a different mentality. But, you know, say if you go to a – say I play a guy, I go to Chicago and play him on his hometown, or if somebody comes here and plays me, everybody says, well, this guy's got home court advantage. This is his home pool room. Well, it's not – I mean, yeah, it, it is a little bit of an advantage, but you also – have way more pressure under you because somebody comes here and plays me, I have 60 of my hometown pool fans, they're rooting for me. That's a lot more pressure on me also, you know. Right. So it goes both ways. Yeah, I think you guys are all going to have not just the crowd pressure, but you want to do well for your country. You don't want to let your country down. You don't want to let your team down. You don't want to let your, your family or friends down. You know, they're all going to be tuning in to watch you. And that that adds a whole other set of stress, other than, you know, just the actual lights and the TV. So, um, you know, I'm not trying to put negative in your head or anything here. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think you can share any of the... Yeah, 
I, that's how we all got here. You know, we all handle pressure good, and uh, I'm I got faith in all everybody on my team. You know, like it's definitely going to be uh, more stress than we probably ever played against, but we all handle it pretty good. So. Well, again, I wish you the best of luck, and everybody at American Believes Radio wishes you and the team luck, and hopefully, maybe in October, when if uh, you make the final five, we can have another chance to see how things have changed in mind and see if there's anything that's uh, new that you've uh, got to tell us. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. I appreciate it. All right, Justin. I appreciate it, and I will speak to you again real soon. Okay. And, uh, Good talking to you. You too, buddy. And that's it for this edition of the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona, on American Billiard Radio. Hope to speak to you all again next week. And I think next week is going to have to be Shane. He's the only one left. So um, I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. Till then, have a great week.